Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. What's up, Lake Point family? Great to see you guys. Uh, great, always great to be with you all, and thanks for engaging with us this weekend. Yeah, my, uh, my name is Mike Bro, and uh, <clears throat> I have the privilege of being on the teaching team around this amazing place. I want to welcome all of our campuses and those of you that might be joining us online. Man, we are so great, grateful uh, that you're with us this weekend. Well, last weekend, uh, we kicked off a new series that we're calling True North, and if you're with us, you know that Pastor Josh or should I say, Professor Howerton, uh, gave us this very, very impressive lesson on the difference between magnetic north and true north. Holding a compass in his hand, one that he uses on all of his camping and hiking excursions, uh, he taught us that magnetic north changes based upon the magnetic fields in the earth. For instance, the needle on your compass could be like 20 degrees off depending upon where you are in the world at the time. Uh, true north never changes. So, so we got thinking, <clears throat> in a world where direction and truth seem to be constantly shifting, in a, in a life where our emotions are trying to jerk us all over the place, wouldn't it be great to have like something solid, something dependable, something that's really, really like dialed in, something that like never changes, something that's completely trustworthy, you know, like, like, a, like a true north, something like uh, rather someone like Jesus. Y'all ever have that feeling that people are talking about you? You ever get that feeling? You know, you got this little group of people in the hallway at school, they're huddled around the locker and you walk up and, or the cluster of people around the coffee pot at work, or you got some neighbors at a barbecue and you, you, you walk up and all of a sudden conversation stops. And you can just tell by the awkward silence, all the glances, all the four smiles, everybody looking at the ground, what they were talking about. Has that ever happened to you? Now, now some of that can just be personal paranoia and insecurity. I mean, like if you go to a football game and when the players huddle up, you think they might be talking about you, you might need some therapy or something. But at other times, it's very, very real, isn't it? And when you become the topic of conversation, man, it just kind of makes you want to hide, close the blinds, stay in bed, pull the covers over your head, withdraw from all contact, all conversation, all touch, and just isolate yourself. It, it's the kind of thing that makes you want to come to the well at noon. She was a, a woman that people talked about. 
had a sultry past, had a loose and easy reputation, the kind of reputation people huddle up and whisper about. So to avoid the stares and the whispers and the rumors and the judgment of the crowd, she walks every single day to get water at Jacob's well when nobody else does at noon. And when she comes, she brings an empty bucket and an empty life. She brings with her a life that's missing the true north. She's bringing with her a life that, where she feels unwanted and unfulfilled and unloved. I want to I pick up the, her story in John chapter 4. It's in the uh, New Testament section of the Bible. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are all called the Gospels or simply the good news all about Jesus. You really ought to read them sometime. You can turn to John chapter 4 if you've got a Bible or if you've got an app that you use. We're going to put it on the screens as well so you can follow along. But, man, this is such a great, great story. And y'all know, y'all know the difference between a northern story and a southern story, right? Northern stories begin with once upon a time. Southern stories begin with, y'all ain't going to believe this. <laughs> so this story, man, I'm telling you, y'all ain't going to believe this. It is in John chapter 4, and, and, the, and the way this begins, it begins with a verse that doesn't seem like a like a big deal. At the first glance, it just kind of feels like more of an introductory verse. But, but check it out. John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now I'm telling you, there's, there's a whole lot packed in that little verse. See, the truth is, he really didn't have to go through Samaria. There were other ways. In fact, every other Jewish person would always, like Google Mapper, waze their route over the Jordan River and travel up the east side to avoid having to step one foot on Samaritan soil because the Jews absolutely despised Samaritans. I mean, you think unrest is kind of a relatively new thing in the Middle East? Oh, no, no. It's been going on for a long, long time. These, these people had destroyed one another's temples. The Samaritans actually scattered human remains and bones to desecrate the Jewish temple. It got so ugly that Jewish children were taught that if they happened to pass a Samaritan on a dusty road, they were to go immediately to the priest and have him ceremonially wash them or they would be viewed as unclean by God. In fact, in Jewish law, anyone was allowed to testify in a court of law except for Samaritans. Why? Because one of the stipulations for testifying was, and I quote, you have to be human. I mean, this is a lot more intense than like Longhorns and Sooners or Yankees and Red Sox or Republicans and Democrats. I mean, this was intense hatred, intense racism. I mean, even though they were created by the same God, even though they believed in the same God and even descended from the same people, the Jews regarded Samaritans as less than. They saw them as religious and social half-breeds because generations before they had intermarried and they had built their own temple and allowed all kinds of idol worship and other false religions to creep in. So in the Jewish mind, they were the holy ones. And the Samaritans were, you know, those people. And there was no way that the Samaritans would ever be allowed to be in the kingdom of God. They were all past the point of no return. And the religious leaders pounded that junk into their hearts and minds, and they bought into those lies. They actually believed that they were superior to those people. 
Can you imagine living in a society where people thought they were superior to other people because of their race? One of the problems in our country right now is a those people mentality. I don't know about y'all, but I can hardly read social media anymore. In fact, I had to take a sustained break from it, still on that break. There was such a lack of humility and kindness, so much division and name-calling and finger-pointing and opinions and labeling, even violence toward those people. I like what Anne Lamont says. She says, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. You guys need to know something. It's never a those people with Jesus. It's just people. And I believe that's why Jesus had to go through Samaria. Verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, the Jewish day began at 6 a.m., so you can do the math, and you can see that Jesus was sitting there by this well at high noon in the heat of the day. And that well would have been a pretty desolate place around that time of day. You see, the, the women in that culture would typically go fill their, their buckets or water pots at dawn or sundown when it was much, much cooler. Nobody, I mean, nobody came at noon unless you didn't want to be seen, unless you didn't want to walk up and have the huddle of whispers fall silent. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And then in parentheses it says his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, I like that little caveat in parentheses. This is one of the things I love most about Jesus. He's breaking all kinds of rules right here. First of all, if you read the whole text, you'll see that he's sitting there alone by the well because he had sent his disciples into town to buy food. Samaritan food, food that they were taught they were not ever supposed to eat. Jews often said that they would rather eat swine's flesh than have Samaritan food ever touch their lips. So you know that Jesus' guys had to be shaking their heads like, what the heck are we doing? Yeah, I think he might be stretching us again. I hate it when he does that. What in the world are we doing in Sychar anyway? And then here's a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman, a Jewish rabbi associating with a Samaritan outcast, asking to drink from a Samaritan vessel that a Samaritan hand had touched. All of this, all of it was absolutely unheard of. Now imagine being this woman. She's got a past. She's got a reputation she's not proud of. So she's just got her head down. She's just trying to get in and out as quickly as possible, man. She's got her bucket. She's got her water pot. And she's trying to avoid the small town gossip. She's trying to avoid all the glares. And then as she approaches the well, she looks up. And there's some guy sitting there right there at the rocky base of the well. And she notices his clothing. She can tell that he's a Jew. And she's well aware of the division between Jews and Samaritans. I'm sure she's thinking, oh, great. What's he doing there? Nobody's ever here at this time of day. Okay, just keep your head down. Avoid eye contact. Just get your water and get out of here. But when she gets there, the man smiles and says, excuse me, would you, would you mind getting me a drink? Verse 9, the woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me? For a drink. Now, did you catch that little phrase that for the Jews refuse? They refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans? Here's something I hope you know about Jesus Jesus won't refuse anyone. 
He doesn't refuse anyone. You know, I've said it before, and so has Josh, but the people least like Jesus liked Jesus, and he liked them. And I'm just telling you, he likes you too. I kept inviting a friend to church, and he's a friend a lot like this woman with rough, rough past, a reputation he was not proud of, and he would, he would always tell me when I invited him, he goes, bro, if I came in, roof would cave in. You ever had somebody say that to you, or maybe you said that before? Well, he finally mustered up the courage to come one weekend, and uh, I saw him afterwards in the lobby, and he was uh, pretty emotional because the message was about uh, God's love, and you can move past your past. And uh, so I went up to him, gave him a hug, and said, hey, guess what, man? We still got a roof. <laughs> See, I'm telling you, Jesus likes you. I just think it's so cool that when nobody else would, Jesus takes a risk and meets one of her most basic human needs. She needed some company. She needed someone who would talk to her instead of about her. Jesus knew that she needed a man to look at her differently than all the other men did. She needed someone who would not refuse to have anything to do with her based on her past or her present or her race or her religion or her reputation. He knew that she just needed a friend. Love was his mission and tenderness was his delivery system. I really do hope you'll study the Gospels this year and just see how disarming and inclusive Jesus is. His love breaks through so many barriers. He doesn't refuse anyone. And I'm personally grateful that Jesus didn't refuse to have anything to do with me. And he won't refuse you either. He wants to meet you right where you are today, as you are today. Past, flaws, imperfections, screw-ups, addictions, baggage, you name it. That's who he wants to meet with. That's who he wants to hang out with. That's who he loves. You. So if you got like an empty bucket, you got an empty soul, an empty life, bring it to him. He will not refuse you. After she says to him, how can you ask me for a drink? Jesus smiles and says, well, if, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you'd ask me. And I would give you living water. Now, remember, this, this, this is a woman with a reputation. And I think she's probably a little jaded, a little cynical. She's been talked about. She's been hurt. She's been used. So she had to be, I think, a little hardened. And maybe she's thinking, wow, living water, that's a new one. Thought I'd heard all the bad pickup lines before. You know, hey, baby, you can, you can be in movies. Hey, honey, hook up with me. I'll put you on the cover of a magazine. Excuse me, could you give me a Band-Aid? I think I scraped my knee falling for you. I mean, she heard every single stupid, bad pickup line, and she's going, living water. Wow, that's original. But she plays along. She goes, oh, come on, sir, you, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very, very, where, where are you going to get this quote-unquote living water? And besides, you, you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? I mean, how can you be, how can you give us better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? You, you think you're better than that guy? He was like a patriarch of the faith. He was like really close to God. You must be really something, buddy, to be able to produce this living water. And I believe Jesus smiles again when he says, well, truth is anybody who drinks this water, as good as this well is, will soon become thirsty again. 
But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And again, I'm just imagining with a little bit of a sarcastic tone, the woman says, well, that's just great. Please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to keep coming here at noon to get my water. And as she spins on her heels to leave, this total stranger says, excuse me, why don't you go back and get your husband and and come back? Stops her dead in her tracks. And a lump forms in her throat. She turns to him and says, well, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, well, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've you've had five. And the man that you're living with now, he's not your husband. What what, what you've just said is, is quite true. Can you imagine everything she was trying to conceal, Jesus just revealed. He already knew. And he cared deeply about her. Here's the deal. She is the reason he had to go through Samaria. God loved this woman with a past so much that he goes looking specifically for her. You know, Josh talked last week about how sheep have a tendency to wander away. There's a story that Jesus tells one time about a shepherd that has 100 sheep and one wanders away. He says, so this good shepherd, he leaves the 99 and he goes out of his way just to find the lost one. And the point of the story is God pursues you and me like we are that one priceless lost sheep. There was a guy who was baptized in one of our churches out in California a couple of years ago. He was a former uh, Hell's Angel uh, member. And many of those guys have a one percenter tattoo somewhere on their body. It's that one percent that's kind of boast about lawlessness, like we're the one percent that doesn't give a rip about anything. And he had one on, on his shoulder. And he's standing there in the water and he says... I got to tell you, man, this is so cool. You know, Jesus left the 99, and he chased me down. Now this 1% tattoo means something totally different to me. The good shepherd does that. He pursues us personally, specifically, intimately, in spite of our past. And not only does he pursue you and me, but Jesus also knows our deepest thirst. You know that? He knows our deepest thirst. I I love how he knows and goes right to the deepest places of this woman's life, goes right to the place of her pain, right to the place of her humiliation, right to the place of her shame, right to the place of her regret, her hiding, her longing. And Jesus doesn't need a bucket. He doesn't need a rope to get deep. He's already there. I want you to look again at verse 13 and 14 because this is something you need to tuck in your heart. Jesus says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And of course, Jesus was talking about so much more than just H2O here. He knew what she was really thirsty for. And he knew how she was trying to quench that thirst. And haven't you found like me that all of our surface attempts to fill our deepest needs only last a little while and soon we become thirsty again? It's why we try to numb our pain, our deeper pain with substance abuse. It's why we try to fill our deeper insecurities with all kinds of body image stuff. It's why we run to pornography to fill a deeper need for intimacy. It's why we strive to overperform and overachieve at work or school or on the field or on the court to fill our deeper need for that elusive attaboy, girl. 
It's why we stuff our closets and spend money on more stuff to fill that deeper need of craving approval. It's why we power up on people and lash out in fits of anger to fill that deeper need for significance. It's why we chase relationship after relationship to fill that deeper need to be loved with an unfailing love. And those things never last. They can't go deep. They are shallow and temporary and will only leave us thirsty again. God says this, come an obscure verse in the Old Testament section of the Bible in the book of Jeremiah. He says, my people have committed two sins. First of all, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water, the source. Secondly, they went out and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I grew up in Kentucky, and I can remember an old song that I learned back in third grade school, uh, third grade uh, music class at school. You know how sometimes you, you hear a song as a kid, you never, ever forget it. The song was this, there's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. There's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, a hole. Anybody else sing that song? Yeah, maybe just a Kentucky thing. I don't know. Uh, but I am so grateful for the day I discovered there's a hole in my bucket. Because I had dug all kinds of broken cisterns that could not hold water. Oh, they could hold enough to give me a little splash, give me a little sip, a little quick fix, but never enough to wash over me and quench my deepest thirst. Jesus knows our deepest thirst. And not only does he know it, but he promises here that if we will come to him daily to meet our needs, we will never be thirsty again. He's the spring. He's the well. He's the source of living water. While this woman was wondering how Jesus could get deep in Jacob's well without a rope or a bucket, he was reaching deep into the well of her soul. And I believe that he could see her desperate thirst to be loved with the kind of love that will not run dry, the kind of love that only he can offer. Well, she's taken back, to say the least, by his knowledge of her past. So she does what we do in awkward moments. She changes the subject. I love this. She goes, uh, sir, I... I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. I just love the raw humanity of this woman. Jesus goes right to the deepest, uncomfortable places of her soul. And she wants to bring it right back up the surface level. It's like, okay, enough about me. Let's talk about you for a while. I, I can see that you're like a religious man. What do you say we talk religion? You know, of course, one of the trending topics between Jews and Samaritans is where we're supposed to worship. I, I'd love to get your take on that. What's, what's, like, what's your point of view? And again, I think Jesus smiles as he pretty much sweeps that intended distraction away by saying, well, actually, neither. Not on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. God wants worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. It's always been an inside-out kind of thing. Speaking of which, let's get back to you. And Jesus looks deep in her eyes and says, I have a feeling that you could use some spirit and truth. Because here's what I think. I think you'd, you'd like to know real love. I think you'd like to connect with God on a level that, sh that you never have, but you can't move past your past. Listen to me, you dear, priceless, precious woman. God, the lover of your soul, wants to connect with you. And I believe in this moment, She's standing there fighting back tears, got a lump in her throat, and she says this, I think, with like an ex expected sense of, could this be? Look, look what she says. The woman said, well, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. 
And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. It's almost like she said, uh, like that wouldn't be you, would it? And then in the only time, the only time before his trial, not before the crowds, not before the religious leaders, but to this broken woman alone by a well at high noon, Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. I mean, this is so cool. Not only had a Jew spoken to a Samaritan, not only had a rabbi spoken to a woman, but the one lovingly looking into her eyes, looking into her shame-filled soul was her creator, God in the flesh, the promised Messiah, the light of the world, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin, the source of living water that would wash over her soul and make her brand new. She had finally found true north. I mean, what a moment. All right, now you, you know how great movies and TV series have like an A plot going on, then got like a B plot going on at the same time? Seinfeld and The Office were both great at that. Well, verse 27 is kind of a break. It's kind of a B plot. I kind of find it funny. Remember how, where the disciples had gone? Now it switches back to them and it kind of says like, meanwhile. It's almost like the soundtrack changes in the movie from this touching acoustic strings moment with Jesus and this woman to do 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 and the camera pans to these guys coming back with sacks of food from a Samaritan drive-thru. Verse 27, just then, meanwhile, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? So here are these guys coming up the road. They can see Jesus and this woman talking at the well, and they start whispering to each other, who's she? I don't know. What's he doing? I don't know. You ask him. I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. No way I'm going to ask him. Just ignore, just ignore him and act like everything's cool, okay? Okay. I think they were beginning to know this barrier breaking Jesus too well, that he was way different than anybody they had ever seen. All right, back to the A plot. Verse 28, then... Leaving her bucket, her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers, and they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know, we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I mean, this is such a cool scene. When this woman realizes just who it is, that has touched her in the deepest place. She leaves her bucket. She leaves her past. She leaves her shame. And she goes running back into the town to tell the very people she was trying to avoid. You gotta come see this. I'm telling you, hope, hope is sitting by the well. You see, not only will Jesus never refuse you, and not only does he know your deepest thirst, but you need to know this. Jesus can redeem any life. He can redeem any life. And I know redeem kind of sounds like a churchy word. So I just looked it up in the English dictionary. And check out the first four definitions that pop up. It's really cool. Redeem, to make something acceptable. Two, to restore reputation. Three, to atone for human sin. Four, to buy something back. 
Gang, Jesus went to a cross to atone for human sin, to purchase our freedom, to buy back our wasted years. Through his blood, our reputations are restored, and we have been made into something acceptable. That's the definition of redemption. A woman who did not want to be seen in public at all, now running back into her town, telling everybody what had just happened to her, that's redemption. In a town called Sychar, which literally meant falsehood, God chooses this woman to declare his truth. That's redemption. People used to huddle up and talk about her as a woman who had five previous husbands and was always sleeping around. And now when people saw her, they would say, you see that woman right there? You ought to hear her story, man. In fact, she's the one, she's the one that led me to Jesus. That's redemption. Psalm 103, Psalm 130, verse 7 reminds us, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Don't let that escape you. Full redemption, not partial, not halfway, not like 80%, not just enough to make you feel a little better or a little less guilty. Full redemption. Some of y'all are really good at finding stuff at flea markets, aren't you? Or you find garage sales, or maybe you find some junk on the side of the road, and you make it into something cool. You get that whole Joanna Gaines gene in you, and you just love to, like, repurpose things. You need to know Jesus is, like, really good at that. He's in the business of redeeming and repurposing people. In fact, Jesus recycles our mistakes and our pain and our failure and all of our junk, and he even uses them for his good purposes. You see, this woman's story can be your story too. You can find true north. If you're thinking you're, you're not off just a few degrees, but you're so far off from ever having a relationship with God, you've got to know Jesus doesn't refuse anybody. In fact, he goes out of his way to meet with you, no matter how many degrees you might be off. And I'm just thinking there might be a few of us who got a hole in our bucket. We're tired of digging cisterns that can't hold water. I mean, if you're tired of going back to the same old well time and time again, trying to get that fix for a deeper thirst, I'm just telling you from experience, it's not going to happen. Begin to trust that he knows your deepest need. And he's the only one that can fill it. And I don't know, there might be some of you who have uh, been trying to avoid the whispers, the stares, and you, you're feeling like, man, everybody knows my stuff. If I show up at a church, man, the roof would cave in. I, you, you might even be in, in, in church or, or, or watching online. You might be sitting there thinking about all the broken vows and broken families and broken promises. I'm just telling you, like if shame and regret and all those like wasted years consume your mind. You need to know that Jesus can redeem any life. There's thousands of us here that can attest to that. Whatever is in you that is shattered, he wants to buy it back, repurpose it, and make you new. He will allow you to live every day in the awareness that in spite of your past, you are accepted by a holy God. So we thought it might be appropriate today to give you a little time to reflect. And whether you're at one of our campuses or whether you're joining us online today, 
We're just going to scroll through some truth on the screen and invite you to let them wash over you in the next few minutes. And I just want to encourage you during this time just to be courageous enough and come out of hiding and find Jesus waiting for an encounter with you because he's here right now. And he's your true north. And I want to encourage you to meet with him right now. Acknowledge what those deep thirsts are in your life and invite him to fill you up. Let's do that together. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.